0: Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. I'm thankful each of you are here today, and we're glad that you're a part of the service. And those of you who join us online, we're glad that you've joined us today. And uh, if you're online, if you you don't have a chance to respond back in the service. You can always text us or call us or send us an email, and we'd love to minister to you any way that we can. Uh, periodically, we ask that uh, you as a church do something for us. Uh, we just recently upgraded our some of our software, and so it's an opportunity for us to make sure we have your information correct. So I'd like for one per family. If everybody would grab one of these, one per family, and just fill it out for us. Uh, don't worry about what service you attend. Just, just mainly we need the name and contact information. And then down at the bottom, if you would write down the names of the family members that uh, live in your household and their birthdays. So if you give us their name and their birthdays and, and that allows us to make sure everybody's in the right group and we have the correct information. So one person household, if you do this, and then at the end of the service, if you just put this in the offering basket, we would appreciate that very much. And, uh, it'll just allow us to make sure that we are keeping up with you properly. Um, you know, yesterday we. Mary and I, when we got up, we turned on the TV to watch the ceremonies about 9-11. And uh, it's hard to believe that's been 20 years ago. Um, I remember the day that happened as well as you do. And uh, I remember uh, being downstairs, uh, seeing things as they were happening. And my son was getting up, getting ready to go to school. And he came down and he saw the TV. He said, this is a this is a big deal, isn't it? And I said, oh yeah, this is kind of like a Pearl Harbor deal. And it's just been astounding of how that one event has impacted us. Um, And one of the things that um, I am so proud of our church, um, many of you, so many of you have served in the military. Uh, We have a lot of retirees from the military in our church. Uh, We have a vets group that... uh, uh, Chuck leads and uh, ministers to our vets, and we're thankful for that. But we have a lot of active military in our church right now. Uh, In fact, we have every branch, we have active church members in every branch, including the Coast Guard, um, and that are serving our country right now. And then uh, it's, it's astounding to me of all the individuals we have. Uh, we have uh, two doctors in our church that are full-time in the Navy. Uh, we have a Citadel student who is, uh, <clears throat> is already serving in the Army, uh, and when she finishes up the Citadel, she's going to med school so she can serve as a doctor in the military. Uh, We have an active Navy SEAL right now and we have two of our students that are going through the qualifications right now for Navy SEALs. Uh, We have one who's going through the qualifications right now for uh, the Air Force uh, Special Warfare or Special Services, Special Forces. Uh, We have a major general in our church uh, with the uh, National Guard who's uh, active And, and then we have a lot of active reservists in our church so we we are well rep- the military is well represented in our fellowship and and i so appreciate the fact that we see a lot of our students who want to serve in the military and and uh, some are doing that right now and some are preparing to do that and uh it's a blessing to me to watch that happen um and, 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 they're, and they're willing to go after the hard stuff. You know, we, I said we have this one active Navy SEAL, and then we've got one going, in, wanting to go in the Air Force uh, version of the Navy SEALs. And then we've got three other students that are preparing to go into the Navy SEALs. So they're, they're wanting to do, they wanted to be very involved and in, in, uh, they're serving their country. So I'm thankful for that. And and as I think about that, I, I think about a different kind of warfare that we are a part of and that we're all a part of is a spiritual warfare. And we, you, you fight a spiritual battle every single day. And just like our military people, they have to be prepared to go into battle and they've got to be trained. They have to have the right equipment, the right tools, and they have to have the right leadership. The same is true spiritually, that uh, you have to be prepared to go into battle spiritually. And, and so uh, I want to talk about this whole aspect of growing and the purpose of growing in your life. And, and what does that mean to prepare yourself? Uh, you, you know, I, I don't believe that you can be all that God wants you to be without settling some basic commitments. Settling some basic commitments in your life. And so we're going to talk about what those commitments are that will help you to grow spiritually. So let's back up a little bit and let's just talk about the purpose of spiritual growth. And and the purpose, well... We find it in Colossians because the goal that we're going to see written here, uh, Epaphras, uh, Paul makes reference to him uh, when he's writing to the church in Colossians, uh, in Colossae. And Epaphras was a part of that fellowship, but he was currently with Paul. and And here's what Paul said in Colossians 4. He says, Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus sends you his greetings. And now here's, here it is. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God, that you're not just picking and choosing. You're, you're following the entire will of God. See, a lot of times we think that um, as a Christian, we just kind of pick and choose what we want to do, and and uh, we'll pick and choose things that'll make us feel good. That oh, okay, I'm a good Christian, but God has a an a complete will for you. And, and if I'm going to truly grow, then I should want to follow the whole will, the the entire ball of wax, so to speak, that He has for me. Because once you're born into God's family, God wants you to grow up. I I mean, to be born again means that you become part of the family and just like a physical birth that you went through, when you were a baby, your parents would take you to the doctor periodically and one of the things they would do every single time was to measure your weight and measure your length so that they can see if you're growing and then they would say, well, you're in the percentile of this bracket because it would say something to the doctor if you stopped physically growing. And so that's important, you would want that. You, you don't want the, a child to just stop growing. <clears throat> and, it, and, and that is something that continues your whole life. And In fact, you kind of degrow. I mean, my mom called me the other day. She said, I went to the doctor, I've lost another inch. And I said, really? She said, you know, I used to be five foot nine and now I'm five feet. I said, great, I'm looking forward to that. (laughs) And and so anyway, this whole idea of growing spiritually, well, there are a lot of immature Christians out there, sadly. But God says to them, to us, hey, I need you to grow up. I want you to grow up. So let's talk about what is spiritual maturity. In in Ephesians 4.13, It says, this will continue until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full, complete standard of Christ. So it has something to do with faith and knowledge of Jesus that relates, equates, maturing as a believer so I've got to look at that and say okay there's got to be some faith there there's got to be knowledge there And, and there's this there's this full and complete standard of Christ of being like Christ so this verse basically says you can define spiritual maturity with one phrase spiritual maturity is being like Jesus That's spiritual maturity, being like Jesus. It it says that real maturity is measuring the development that is the full and standard of Christ, the complete, the full and complete standard of Christ. Well, I've been a Christian over 50 years, and I still have things I got to learn, and I have to keep learning. I have to keep moving towards becoming more and more like Christ. Uh, let's look at the next two verses in Ephesians 4. It says, Then you will no longer be immature like children. So if I'm growing, I'll stop being like an immature child who we won't be taught. Now, listen to this. Just listen to these phrases. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching you see, he said, you're going to develop mature and you're going to mature in such a way that when you start hearing all these other doctrines, these teachings that tickle the ears, that sound cool, that you wish was true, but in reality it's not. Or or when you hear somebody saying something about scripture, God wants you to be mature enough that you recognize what they just said is not right. That's that's not true. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what that means. God wants you to mature enough that you recognize that. So that when you listen to somebody on TV or listen to a podcast and it may sound great and it may sound attractive, but in your heart, in your spirit you go, you know, I got some real questions about what I just heard. And um, I'll, I'll have friends and other pastors even who will send me some stuff written by another pastor or says something and say, what do you think about this? And I'll read it and I'll say, yeah, that that sounds a little squirrely to me. And there's always believers who are out there promoting something that's just not of God. And we, we have to be careful about that. So how do I know? Well, it comes from preparing myself, being mature enough that I can recognize it. And, and it says real maturity is the measure of development that um, I notice when Christ is in charge or not of my life. I mean, the difference between, it, when I when I meet with people privately and I've talked to them, I usually get around to the question, so how's the lordship in your life going? Are, are you really giving God everything? Are, are you holding back something? Because usually we are. Usually there are things we hold back from. In verse 15, it says, instead, we will speak the truth in love and growing in Every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So spiritual maturity is growing to the point that I can recognize a lie or a false doctrine or a teaching that is wrong, and I'm not drawn to all these things, because usually they're trying to market something or sell you a book. And I'm growing in every way, more and more, that I'm becoming more and more a loving person like Jesus, that I truly love people the way Jesus wants me to love people. So actually, this has been God's goal all along. In Romans 8:29 it says, "For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His son, back when God made Adam and Eve." He put his image in them. He said, "Let us make them in our image." And that's been God's all goal all along is for you that you have the image of God in you and you are reflecting more and more that image. So that the image of God, the image of Christ in you is more and more what people see in you. I want to be more like him not me, I've seen me, I've lived with me for a long time, and you take away Jesus, there's not much good about me, I want to be more like him. I want to make myself cooperate with the Holy Spirit and become more and more like Jesus. So not to be sovereign. Now, here's the thing about God wanting us to be like him. He's wanting you to be godly, but not God. You're not sovereign. He is. You know, there's some religions who actually take these verses and totally misunderstand them, that they believe that God wants them to be God themselves. In fact, they believe that one day, They will evolve and be God and will be given their own planet to be sovereign over their own planet. No, that's not in scripture. God is sovereign over everything or he's not sovereign at all. And and so he's not wanting you to be God. He's wanting you to be godly. He's wanting you to have godly characteristics. He's wanting you to be like his son, Jesus. Because the image, well, the image in me because of my sins was marred. And that's why Jesus had to die to create a new image in me. Adam was made in the image of God, but when he sinned, that image was messed up. So Jesus came to earth and died on a cross to restore that image. So spiritual maturity is being like Christ, plain and simple. Uh, Let me give you a couple of facts about spiritual maturity, just so you know. Number one, it is not automatic. In other words... You can be a Christian, but never grow up spiritually. That's possible. In Hebrews chapter five, he said, you have been believers so long now you ought to be teaching others. You, you should be in ministry, uh, influencing people, teaching others about Christ, <clears throat> but instead you need someone to teach you again, the basic teachings, the basic things about God's word. You're like babies. You're like babies who need milk, who cannot eat solid food. And if he was writing this today, he would say, and you need your diapers changed all the time. You're, You're like a baby and you shouldn't be. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Spiritual maturity is not automatic. It takes work. It takes time. It takes effort. In fact, spiritual maturity is a process. 2 Peter 3.13 says, rather, you you must grow in the grace and knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You must grow. It's a process. It takes time. (laughs) It's not instantaneous. Uh, There are no shortcuts to spiritual growth. There's no instant pill that you can take. Um, A lot of people do look for the shortcuts, the easy way. Some some people think that they can grow mature spiritually if they just have emotional experiences. If they just have emotional experiences, then I'm going to grow mature. Yeah. Yeah it's fine to have emotional experiences, but that doesn't equate into growing spiritually. I I mean, it's kind of like when you fall in love, you'll say things like, oh, I just had this feeling in my stomach and we'll go, yeah, that might've been bad pizza. You know, (laughs) that doesn't mean it's definitely love, but you, Sometimes we think if we just have an emotional experience, that equates into maturity. That's, that's not true. Or, or if we go to a certain seminar, if I just go to this seminar, if I just read this book, I'll be mature. No, it's a process. And the process takes the rest of your life. I'm still in that process. The Bible says it's a continual process. Uh, the third thing, <clears throat> it, it takes discipline. It's not automatic. It's a process and it takes discipline. First Timothy says, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. I mean, physical fitness is not automatic. No, I mean, spiritual fitness is not automatic either. It takes training. It takes work. In fact, there's a couple of truths about this, about understanding discipleship. Let me just mention these quickly. The Bible teaches that mature believers are called disciples, mature believers. So you're a disciple of Christ. You're a follower of Christ. He is mentoring you. He is discipling you. He is growing you. The Bible teaches that I cannot be a disciple without being disciplined. It's impossible. The Bible teaches that the more discipline, that the more the discipline I become, the more God can use me. The more discipline I become as a believer, the more God can use me. The Bible teaches that the mark of a disciple is called cross bearing. Jesus put it this way He said, If you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot. Be my disciple. Wow. Straightforward. What, what does it mean to carry a cross? Well well, first of all, how often do I have to do that? Well, Jesus said daily. Every day. In Luke 9:23, he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, my disciple, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily. And follow me that's being a disciple and here here's what taking up your cross means every day it means you die to yourself it doesn't mean that you put on a pretty piece of jewelry with a cross on it it means that you die to yourself so what is involved in cross bearing whatever it takes to give Christ first place in your life. That's what it involves. Any area that your life, Jesus is not first, that cross bearing, taking up your cross means you make Jesus first in that area, every area. So here we're going to come to close this out on talking about the four habits of being a disciple. So we've talked about what we're to do. We've talked about why we're to do it. Let's talk about practically how you do it. How do you grow? So how do I become a disciple? Well, I develop disciple habits. Colossians three, don't lie to each other for you have stripped off your old sinful nature. So you have stripped off. You have to do that process. You have to say, you know, that's not a godly behavior. I got to quit doing that. You know, that's not a godly attitude. I've got to quit doing that. I've got to quit thinking that way. Uh, This is not a God honoring thing that I do. So I'm going to stop it. I have to strip off. You have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. All of them. Put on your new nature. So I have to put on the new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. So how often do you do that? Every day, sometimes moment by moment, but every day I start every day and say, okay, today I'm going to live for him. I'm going to be more like him. So, I want you to notice that God is able to make us in His image if we choose to put off our old habits and we choose to put on new habits. That's how God makes us more into His image. That's the way God changes us. And God's number one goal is to make you like Jesus. That's maturity. And He says, by putting off your old habits and putting on new habits, That's how you become more and more like Christ. So here here are some of the habits. Number one, time in God's word. There's no substitute for that. And it's not a matter of just learning scripture. It's not a matter of just seeing how many verses you can read. It, It is spending time with it so that it invades your life and changes things in you. Here's what Jesus said. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Well, that's the Bible. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. So how do you know what his teachings are? You read it. You study it. And you will know the truth. And guess what the truth will do? It will set you free from your sinful habits from your wrong way of thinking, from your selfishness. The truth will set you free for, for living from yourself and you start living for others. The Bible says that the disciple is someone who continues in God's word. It's not a contest to see how many times you can read through the Bible. It's not a contest to see how many verses you can read every day. I mean, if you're just reading verses and checking off a list, I don't know what, you know, that can help a little bit, but I'm talking more and more about studying and immersing yourself and letting scripture invade you, invade your heart and your way of thinking. So when you read something, you stop and you say, well, how do, how do I measure up to what Jesus just said right here? How do I measure up to that? I mean, if you really want to do a good study, just go through the Gospels and read everything that Jesus said and see how you're doing. The second one is prayer. So you have study of Scripture and you have prayer. And prayer is a conversation with you and God. John chapter 15 but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, so if you listen to my teachings and you're studying my words and it's a part of who you are, you may ask for anything you want and it'll be granted. Now, what that means is if you're following me and and you are seeking to be Christ like then you're going to pray properly and you're going to pray for the things that God wants you to pray for. And you need to know that when you pray asking for God's will and you pray in my name, it's going to happen. You can pray for that. So you're praying not selfishly. This is what I want, but rather this is what God wants for me. And what do you, how do you know what God wants for you? You study what God says about you again, read the words of Jesus. And then listen to what he says, Jesus says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings glory to my father. So Jesus said, hey, here's how you'll know if you are praying properly and if you're in the word properly, you're going to produce fruit. I mean, spiritual kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, self-control. And there's like nine of them. I mean, you're going to produce fruit. It's going to be evident that you're walking with me. It'll be clear. And in fact, Jesus, he lived his whole life to honor his father, to bring glory to his father. He went to the cross to bring glory to his father to save you and me. But he knew that that would bring glory to his father. And so Jesus said, hey, I'm... I want you to live this way because you'll produce fruit. And that fruit will bring glory to my father. And that's what this is all about. Loving God with everything you got. That's why Jesus said that's the most important command. Love God with your entire being because that honors him, brings glory to him. So my question is, are you producing rotten fruit or fake fruit a real fruit and it's not something you have to force to happen it will just happen a third thing is tithing jesus said so you cannot be my disciple without giving up everything you own wow that's a big statement So here's what I want you to do. I want you to see that tithing is simply an indication that this is true in your life, what Jesus said. You see, if I'm not willing to give the first 10% of what I make to God, how can I say that I give God my all? How can I give him all of me if I'm not willing to obey Jesus in just this small area? Let's go back to Deuteronomy. and I want you to see what the Bible says about that. It says, bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place that the Lord your God uh, chooses for his name to be honored, and eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithes of grain, your new wine, your olive oil, your firstborn males of your flocks and herds. Doing this will teach you, listen to this, Doing the tithe will teach you to always fear the Lord your God. In other words, putting him first, revering him. So there's a connection here. The the Bible says the beginning of all wisdom is fearing God. Fearing God is the beginning of all wisdom. And that means to revere him, to respect him. And here I'm reading that when I practice the tithe, it's actually teaching me to always fear God, which the Bible tells me to do. So scripture connects together. Jesus doesn't have us doing things that are in isolation. They all connect. The studying of scripture, the praying, the tithing, it all connects to spiritual maturity. But here's the deal. In in Deuteronomy, he he told them to come and they were to eat and drink these tithes in God's presence. In other words, God doesn't need your money. Don't ever think that. God just says that tithing proves that I'm first in your life. See, if you have a possession that God told you to give away and you couldn't give it away, you don't have a possession. It possesses you. If you have something that you possess that you cannot give away, then it possesses you. Now, I want you to see the really proper perspective on this thing. Here's the way it really is. When I tithe, I'm giving God 10% of the first of my giving but it's not like I'm giving God 10% of my money. I'm giving him 10% of his money. Because what did Jesus say? The father owns it all. Everything that I have, I'm just a temporary steward of it. So this is, if, if I'm a Christian, listen to this. God is letting me use the 90% of his money. And I'm going, wow. So when I give God 10%, I'm giving him 10%, not of my money. I'm giving him 10% of his money. And he lets me keep the 90% to live off of. Oh my goodness. That's his too, right? If he's Lord, if he's sovereign, that's his. I'm just a steward of it. So he's saying, you do this, and then I'm going to give you this, and I'll bless you with this, and I'll show you some other really cool things to do with this. I'll show you how to bless other people. You see, it's not like you give me 10% of my money. I own it all. You just give me 10% of it then I'll maximize this 90% in ways that you'll be blown away. I'll show you how to be a blessing to others with this 90%. I'll show you how to change lives with this 90%. So once I understand he owns the whole thing, then I can start becoming a true disciple. The last one is fellowship. John 13 Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, and how did he love us? Well, he died for us. So I'm to love others with the attitude that I'm willing to give my life up for that person. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. You see, when the world sees Christians and how they love each other, oh my goodness, they'll want to be a part of that. They want to say, "Wow, I want to be a part of that kind of love. I want to be a part of that kind of sacrificial love where people genuinely care for each other. I, I mean, so often, neighbors, they will take notice. When gateway people go and minister to our people who are sick or that something's going on, and our people show up and bring food or help in the yard and do that kind of stuff, neighbors notice that and they they want to find out what's going on. And it's an opportunity to say, "Yeah, that's my church family. Man, they just love me." And that person's going to go. I want to be a part of that kind of love. You see, as we love each other, that's fellowship. And that proves that we are disciples. Love others. And I want to tell you, really loving others sometimes the, is the most inconvenient time. When somebody interrupts your life, whether you just run into somebody or you're just talking, if you just develop the attitude that this is a God moment, maybe this is a divine appointment. I don't want to miss out on what God's doing right here. Listen to someone. And especially if they kind of hint at something's going on in their life. You know, I can only remember one or two times my whole life when I said to somebody, Hey, is it all right if I pray for you right now? Have they said, no, they, they always want to be prayed for. It's amazing. And and so when you're, you encounter somebody in the store or something and, and they start sharing something you just say, Hey, Hey, let's just go over here on the side real quick. Let me just pray for you. Don't, I mean, don't make a production out of it. Just, just pray for them. And I want to tell you, if anybody spots you praying like that, they're gonna, they're gonna say, "Wow! I wish somebody would pray for me." And, you know, it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to. You just, I mean, you just pray a quick prayer, and man, it it could change the complexion of that person's life that day. So the Bible, the prayer, tithing, fellowship, all of that is essential to your growing, maturing spiritually. Now, as the band comes out and as we're worshiping together, I'm going to be down here at the front and uh, maybe you just need to come and you want to pray about something specific. Maybe there's something going on in your life and you just would like some prayer or maybe you just want to come and pray on your own. That's okay, too. We're here for you. Be sure to put this in the offering plate as it comes by. But let's let's pray.